From CPRI and the CPRI Knowledge Hub, this is Research Minutes, a weekly look at new and important research in education. Today we look at college placement and the methods we use to determine if students require additional non-credit coursework when they first enroll. Students who are severely underplaced could get an A or a B in a higher course level, but instead they're required to take an additional developmental education course, which often isn't covered by financial aid. On the other hand, students who are overplaced into higher course levels that they're unlikely to pass get set up for failure. We welcome CNA's Daniel Leeds and Florida State University's Christine Moker, co-authors of a new study examining the accuracy of, and some potential changes to, statewide college placement methods in Florida. Leeds and Moker discuss their findings. That's another 17 and 9% of students, respectively, who are correctly identified as needing a developmental course, but are then told to take the wrong one. And some important takeaways for higher ed policy and future research. So many states, including Florida and California, have recently implemented reforms that no longer require students to take developmental education, regardless of their incoming level of preparation. Our analysis suggests that these types of policies may harm some students who would be overplaced into higher level courses that they are unlikely to pass, particularly in math. That's right now on Research Minutes. Hello and welcome to Research Minutes. I'm Keith Miller, Managing Editor of the CPRI Knowledge Hub. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Daniel Leeds, Research Analyst at CNA. Thanks so much for joining us, Dan. Thank you. Pleasure to be speaking. And also with Christine Moker, Associate Professor of Higher Education with the Florida State University College of Education. Welcome, Christine. Thank you. So today we're discussing your new article. It was just published in Educational Evaluation and Policy Analysis titled Improving Indicators of College Readiness, Methods for Optimally Placing Students into Multiple Levels of Post-Secondary Coursework. It takes a new look at college readiness and the methods that we use to place students in specific courses when they transition from high school to college. To start, could you provide us with a little bit of context? How do we currently assess post-secondary readiness and and what are the ramifications of, say, under-preparation for students or, or for the institutions that they attend? Well, first off, I think it's really vital that we distinguish college entrance exams from college readiness exams. College entrance assessments, think the SAT or ACT, are geared around telling you what kind of college you can be admitted to, while college readiness replacement exams tell you what math or English courses you can enroll in once you arrive. This is particularly important because a lot of two-year schools, which are the context for our study, don't require an entrance exam and therefore accept students from an extremely wide range of academic preparation levels. Consistent with the broad field of education policy, there isn't really a single answer to how colleges place students. Strategies can vary across and sometimes within states. Many use some sort of standardized placement tests, such as ACT's College Ready. Previously, there was the Compass exam or the College Board's AccuPlacer exam. Florida, which is the context for our study, had its own placement assessment called the Post-Secondary Education Readiness Test, or the PERT, which in theory, because it was designed specifically for Florida, could provide a seamless link between the state K-12 standards and the requirements in Florida's two-year college system. Unfortunately, any assessment, any placement system, no matter what it's based on, is sometimes going to get things wrong. We focus on what a previous paper 
by Judith Scott Clayton and her co-authors referred to as severe errors. Students who are severely underplaced could get an A or a B in a higher course level, but instead they're required to take an additional developmental education course, which often isn't covered by financial aid. On the other hand, students who are overplaced into higher course levels that they're unlikely to pass get set up for failure, which harms their academic standing and in some cases can jeopardize their financial aid. Both of these types of students are going to have to deal with issues of discouragement and demotivation, and they're going to have their time to degree unnecessarily extended, although they may be harmed individually in different ways. Uh, Again, it's vital to mention that we focused on severe errors because there are some degrees of smaller misplacement if someone maybe has to work extremely hard to get a C in an upper level course, but could get an A in a lower level course. Maybe you could say they're misplaced in the upper level course, but that's not as catastrophically bad as the severe errors that we're discussing. As I understand it, when we're talking about placement in developmental education, it's not a a small issue in higher education. Um, These courses have a substantial footprint, particularly among community colleges, and they cost uh, both students and institutions a significant amount of money. Could you uh, expand on that a little bit? Sure. In Florida, about 70% of incoming students during the time of our study at community colleges were required to take one or more levels of developmental education. And this is pretty similar to other numbers nationally. Students under preparation for post-secondary education has financial implications for both students and institutions, as developmental education courses among first-time degree-seeking fall enrollees are estimated to cost $7 billion annually. Wow. And uh, Dan had mentioned this a a little bit previously, but I was wondering uh, what the prior research had had told you about college placement. Did you have any indication that, uh, that the current methods being used might be ineffective or might be leading to misplacement at the college level? Yes, so we knew from prior research that the use of college placement tests often results in students being misplaced into their first college course, particularly in English. Most of this work is based on a series of studies by researchers at the Community College Research Center at Teachers College using data for the Compass or AccuPlacer. These are computer-adaptive placement tests that have been used by many colleges nationwide. Yet we also knew that different types of placement exams may have different levels of accuracy. A study in a California community college district indicated that the use of longer diagnostic placement exams that assess student proficiency on a range of topics may improve placement accuracy relative to more commonly used computer adaptive tests with fewer questions. This suggests that the content and the format of the exam matters and how accurately the exams can predict course placement. Florida's placement exam, the PERT, is different from other national tests like Compass and AccuPlacer, and that it was designed specifically to be aligned with the state's own post-secondary readiness competencies. When the test was initially developed in 2010, K-12 and post-secondary educators in Florida reviewed all the items for quality and alignment with these state competencies. This was intended to ensure that the test was measuring the skills that students need to know to succeed in the specific classes being taught at Florida State Colleges. So we were interested in whether misplacement rates under Florida state-specific PERT exam might differ from the rates under other nationally used placement exams. Context is important because placement accuracy may depend on multiple factors, including the reliability and validity of the placement test, 
the content of the placement test, and how well this content aligns with college courses taken by students. Could you give us a general overview of the scope of your study and and your approach to this work? What specific questions were you hoping to answer, and how did you go about it? Sure. This study is part of a larger IES-funded evaluation of Florida's College and Career Readiness Initiative, or FCCRI. This was a statewide policy that required high schools to offer college placement testing and math and reading to mid-performing grade 11 students, and then college readiness and success courses in grade 12 to students scoring below college ready in the prior year. The theory of action behind the FCCRI was that early assessment of college-level skills and corresponding courses to improve these skills could both increase students' awareness of their academic preparation for college and offer opportunities for students to improve their preparation in the senior year. In principle, the FCCRI could have signaled and promoted college readiness. However, it relied on the part's accuracy in course placement. As far as this study in particular, this was inspired by the paper I referenced earlier by Judith Scott Clayton, Peter Crosta, and Clive Belfield that looked at severe misplacement rates into developmental versus four-credit courses. We saw three areas where we could really build on the excellent work that they did. First, when you have multiple tiers of remediation, that opens up the door to misplacement even among students who are correctly assigned to remedial courses, and also to students being misplaced by multiple course levels. If you think about someone, for example, whose test scores put them in the most intensive developmental course, but who have the potential to really succeed in a four-credit course. And our research has shown that this sort of thing may happen more often than we'd really like to believe. Second of all, a lot of attention gets devoted to reducing or eliminating testing. But I think we really need to spend as much time, if not more, asking ourselves whether we're using tests appropriately. We should ask whether we're assigning way too many or too few students to developmental courses before we start talking about whether we need to scrap the metrics we're using. And finally, it's great to look at overall misplacement, but we also need to be aware that not all forms of misplacement are necessarily equally harmful. Is being misplaced by two course levels twice as bad as being misplaced by one? Or is the simple fact of being misplaced at all the key thing that's harming students? Is being overplaced better or worse than being underplaced? Other researchers are going to have more to say about this, and both policymakers and institutions are going to have their own very valid concerns. But we thought it was important to provide a framework for researchers and policymakers to see both what their own findings and priorities suggest about optimal policy decisions, and to provide a framework that lets people reflect on what current policies seem to imply. Uh, You report a number of intriguing findings uh, in this article, which we'll get to in just a second. But before we do, I just wanted to ask if there are any limitations that we should be aware of as, as we walk through your results. Sure. So one set of limitations ties to the fact that we use data from one state. This gives us an excellent picture of how things function in Florida, but Other states are going to differ in the strength of their K-12 programs, the organization of their two-year college systems, the contents taught in introductory college courses, and the assessments that they use for course placement. Since Florida's placement assessment was designed with both their K-12 and their two-year college systems in mind, it may have some advantages in assigning students to different course levels. There's also a set of limitations tied to out-of-sample projection here. 
our data give us a very limited view of what actually goes on in the classroom. And our results assume that things like teacher quality, course structures, the goals of different courses don't really change substantially across course levels. If they do, that would have some implications for how we interpret our results. And finally, we focus mainly on students who enroll in a two-year college in the fall semester after they graduate high school. That's a big chunk of community college students, but it doesn't capture things like students at four-year colleges who may require some sort of remediation or developmental education. It doesn't capture students who decide to take a couple of semesters or years off. It doesn't capture non-traditional students. All of those can make up a very large share of two-year college students. And so it's important to make sure that we're upfront that our results are not able to look at those students. But we do find uh, a very interesting picture regarding seamless two-year college enrollees. Let's start with your first research question uh, regarding accuracy. How accurately were the students in your study being placed when they enrolled in college? Well, this is where looking at multiple levels of misplacement really expands the scope of the problem. If you look only at whether students are correctly placed into four credit courses, then you have about 24% of students who are misplaced in math and 31% who are misplaced in English. But when you take different levels of remediation into account, these misplacement rates jump to 42% and 40% respectively. That's another 17 and 9% of students respectively who are correctly identified as needing a developmental course, but are then told to take the wrong one. And did you model any changes, uh, including different cutoffs, different metrics, or sets of test scores that could have potentially improved that kind of placement for students? The main thing that we found was that setting the right cutoffs would have done a lot more to reduce misplacement than switching to a different placement metric while keeping everything else the same. We considered a range of metrics. We included the FCAT, which is Florida's 10th grade state assessment, subject-specific high school GPAs, overall high school GPAs, combining a wide variety of different high school course-taking and performance characteristics into a single metric, including high school GPA, and adding the PERT into that same composite metric. We consistently found that choosing the right cutoffs on the PERT would do a lot more to minimize severe misplacement than switching placement metrics, but keeping the remediation rates the same. What I think was especially surprising was that setting the right cut scores in math was more helpful than using high school GPA, even if you used the right GPA cutoffs. I think that goes to the wide range of math scores that can be captured in a raw GPA measure. You'd have to dig into grades in specific courses, which was beyond the scope of what we were trying to do, to have a greater effect using GPA. However, in English, you do see gains from using high school GPA over using a placement exam, assuming you choose the right cutoffs on each. Some of that may reflect that K-12 and post-secondary English course assessments are likely to be far more comparable to each other than to a standardized assessment. And some may reflect a more uniform progression of K-12 English courses. So I'm curious to know what you think the implications here might be. In recent years, we've obviously seen a number of reforms in California and elsewhere 
that have been designed to improve college readiness and the college placement process. What do you hope policymakers take away from this work? So many states, including Florida and California, have recently implemented reforms that no longer require students to take developmental education, regardless of their incoming level of preparation. Our analysis suggests that these types of policies may harm some students who would be overplaced into higher-level courses that they are unlikely to pass, particularly in math. However, these concerns might be mitigated by ensuring that all students with lower levels of preparation get additional academic support. In Florida, all colleges were required to develop a plan to provide enhanced support services, such as adopting online tutoring programs, adding or increasing faculty time at success centers, and implementing early alert systems. There is a growing body of evidence that Florida's developmental education reform has yielded significant improvements in student success in terms of first-year course-taking outcomes and credit accumulation. Additionally, Florida's developmental education reform still provides students with the option of enrolling in a developmental education course if they think they need additional preparation. Colleges were required to develop a plan to offer additional advising services to help students make good decisions about which courses to take. Yet some advisors reported challenges in determining which courses students should be advised to take in the absence of placement exam scores. Even if developmental education is made optional, it may still be helpful to use placement exams as one resource in determining the best course placement options for students. Placement tests may also serve as a useful signal to students about their own level of college readiness. This suggests that policymakers may want to consider still requiring, or at least continuing to offer, a placement exam even if developmental education is optional. And my final question would be, um, do you think there are opportunities here for future research, either for you or for others who are working in this area of college placement, college readiness? Yes, one direction for future research is to consider the lifetime cost of misplacement. On the one hand, overplaced students have to retake courses and may lose financial aid. But on the other hand, underplaced students pay for courses that they do not need and financial aid often will not cover developmental education. Either form of misplacement may increase the time to degree or probability of dropping out of college. Information about the cost of misplacements could be used to inform priorities for the direction and degree of misplacement. Additional analyses might explore whether adjusting cutoffs would affect enrollment, employment, tuition, or revenue at two-year colleges. Another direction for future research is to identify additional predictors of student success. For example, though a high school GPA does not depend on specific math or English courses taken, A student with a B average in math through AP calculus will likely be better prepared than one with an A average through Algebra 2. Diagnostics tests may also play students more accurately than computer adaptive tests, although they may be more expensive and time-consuming to administer. Additionally, other analytic approaches could be used to determine optimal placement and comparisons could be made about which method works best. However, many students will remain misplaced even under optimal metrics and cutoffs, as academic mismatch is only one reason why students do not succeed in college. Some may not want to put in the effort to complete assignments or attend class. Others may fail due to outside factors such as work commitments or financial difficulties. Future research may also examine the extent to which students fail due to lack of preparation, lack of effort, or external circumstances, and examine policies for each of these causes. Well, this is fantastic work, and I encourage all of our listeners to go and read the full article Again, it's titled Improving Indicators of College Readiness, Methods for Optimally Placing Students into Multiple Levels of Post-Secondary Coursework, and it was just recently published in Educational Evaluation and Policy Analysis. Daniel Leeds and Christine Moker, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to this week's Research Minutes, presented by the CPRI Knowledge Hub. For more episodes of this podcast, or to subscribe to this series, visit us at researchminutes.org. To share thoughts on today's episode, or to suggest future topics, follow us on Twitter at CPRI Hub. That's C-P-R-E Hub.